I think what we've done is we've achieved the sweetness level where a moderate sweetness level is enough for most people. And you don't realize how overly sweet you know, a traditional candy bar and that you don't need that and that it's not actually additive in a beneficial way to your enjoyment. So we tried to hit that sweetness level where it's just enough for a candy bar and that's all you need. And why would you want any more? And if you don't try it side by side with like a Snickers, and when you're eating it, a lot of people don't realize or don't feel like it's lacking in sweetness at all. So I get that experience. Like, why did you call it less sweet? It's really just like a good sweetness. Welcome to the Brands for a Better World podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories behind people and products, building a more just, healthy, and regenerative future for us all. Tune in weekly, and together, we'll learn why these better products and brands were created, how they're helping fix broken systems, and what you can do to support them. My hope is that you'll discover some new brands to love and get some sparks of inspiration that will help you live your best life. Hi, I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow to scale their impact. This podcast is one way we do that. If you like the show, please help it grow by leaving ratings and reviews on your podcast app and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. Maybe this will be one of them. On this episode, I'm speaking with Stu Davidoff, founder of Gigantic, about what inspired him to make a better candy bar, why most people don't even notice his bars have less sugar, hint, better ingredients, the typical junk you might find in most candy bars, and what he's learned after three years on the market. We then wrap up with the fun rapid fire question segment. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Stu Davidoff, the founder of Gigantic. Gigantic is a premium candy bar that we built from the ground up with better for you responsible ingredients for people who have given up those old school sugar bombs, but still crave that big fun, super yum experience that only a candy bar can deliver. Love it. And I'm excited to chat with you too, because it's actually pretty rare for me to be buying a candy bar, partly just because they're way too sweet for me. Even like as a kid, I leaned more towards fruits and veggies than super sugary sodas or candy bars, like the occasional candy bar, right? But like I kind of avoid most of them now because they have way too much sugar and or I'm afraid to look at the ingredients panel to see what kind of garbage they put in there. So when maybe a mutual connection on LinkedIn, Lex Evan mentioned your bars and said he was a huge fan. And I know... He's an amazing, you know, chef or baker with his products. So I trusted his taste and, and had to reach out to you immediately because I would love to be able to eat some candy bars and feel good about it. So I appreciate you sending over some samples, tried them. My partner tried them. We're both a big fan now. And now I know I have a candy bar brand that I can awesome. support. So I love it, you know, like especially the lower sweetness, but also the unique flavors and ingredients I recognize. So I'm excited to chat a little bit more and dig in and share your story with our audience. So let's dive in. So what drove you to create this sort of sweet candy bars? Well, you know, there's a bit of a backstory. Unlike you, I was a kid that ate a lot of junk food and candy. I was a typical American suburban kid. Frosted flakes and orange juice for breakfast, as horrific as that sounds back in the day, that's what we did. And, you know, after college, I moved to New York, landed up with this realization that I was sitting at a desk almost 80 hours a week and I became more health conscious. At the same time living in New York, I became exposed to all sorts of amazing food. It's part of the reasons I still live in New York City is the amazing food scene here. You can always find something new and interesting to eat. 
And so I became somewhat of a foodie and, and health conscious at the same time. And probably about that time in my life, I, I gave up eating a lot of junk food, including candy bars, as much as I loved them as a kid. And so fast forward many years and, you know, I've got kids of my own. It was October a few years ago and I was sitting at this very table, which is my kitchen table. That's some kid yeah. artwork behind me, by the way, not my Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was getting close to Halloween. I was sitting there. I'd left a job that I'd been at for 10 years in another industry in the financial world. And I was sitting there. I was working on another project. It was a beverage project and coffee and tea. But I was sitting there eating my salad as a healthy person often eats for lunch. And at the end of my salad, you know, what I had in my house at that point was like a dark chocolate bar. So at the end of my salad, like, you know, Sometimes you need something else. You, otherwise, you know, you'd be snacking yeah. in an hour or two. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I broke up that piece of my dark chocolate bar and I was eating it and I was enjoying it. But a little tiny teardrop was rolling down my cheek thinking about, you know, what I really wanted was a candy bar. And, you know, thinking about my kids going out for Halloween and how no candy bar for me existed. Like when my kids would bring back their Halloween bag, that stuff just didn't even interest me anymore. It was for a couple of reasons that you already touched on when you say, you know, when you explain why you don't need candy bars, which is you know, they are made with a lot of junk. You know, candy bars are mostly more than 50% sugar by weight often. And the second largest ingredient is often dairy. So it often just tastes like this milky, sugary thing where artificial flavors are used to give it <laughs> some sort of like identity other than, you know, dairy and sugar. And, you know, even if I was willing to put that much sugar in my body at that time, I couldn't even enjoy the experience of eating one of those anymore because it didn't Tastes great to me. I was working on another CPG. You know, after I left the financial world, I was working on this coffee and tea thing and simultaneously started working on that day. I was like, the light bulb went off that I really want to work on this. And I had some experience already developing a CPG product. And felt like, you know what, this is really motivating me to create. And I started working on it right away. That's sort of the origin. I mean, we can get more into like, you know, obviously I'm sure you've got some questions about what happened after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing that you talked about that I think is interesting, and I, I feel like I've experienced the same thing, is this concept of palate drift, where the more you kind of shift your habits of eating healthier, or the more you try higher quality products that are like maybe less processed or products made with higher quality ingredients, you go back and you try the cheap junk that you used to have. Maybe it's like cheap snack food or cheap candy bars or whatever. And it doesn't taste good anymore. <laughs> it's like, I think part of it's because a lot of it's not even made with real food, right? It's made with chemicals and additives and other things to try to make it taste like real food. But once you've had the real thing, like let's just say vanilla, and then you go back to like a flavored with natural stuff ingredients like beaver anal gland or whatever. It's like one popular vanilla substitute that's just kind of weird <laughs> sounding, but yes. or weird, you know, to picture that in your mind, yeah. but like. The okay, difference is huge, right? Flavors like, lab, yeah. I've heard of that. Right. <laughs> yeah, and even like a lot of the mainstream candy, like chocolate bars, truffles, whatever, it's like such a tiny fraction of actual chocolate or real ingredients. It ends up being like primarily like fillers and stuff to get the product to be cheap or to get it shelf-stable or something. So I totally hear you there on the like the old stuff just doesn't taste good anymore. So I love that you kind of had that focus and it definitely comes through when you try the product like it tastes like i'm eating real actually good ingredients yeah and that was one of the goals of product development was to start with you know legit better for you real ingredients so that what you're tasting it's going to be a 
delicious candy bar, you're going to have that, you know, big fun, super yum experience of enjoying a candy bar, but everything you're tasting is real and you can taste the different components of that candy bar. So, you know, we start off with Fairtrade Organic Dark Chocolate. It's 70% cacao, which is extremely high cacao chocolate to use on a candy bar. But I want people to taste that. If you were to eat a mainstream candy bar, you're starting with a milk chocolate or maybe a chocolate compound, which has very little actual, you know, cacao in it. So, and then, you know, these brands are using flavors, sometimes natural flavors, sometimes artificial flavors to try to give it that origin flavor that <laughs> you expect to taste. And, you know, we try to make, in addition to that, you know, so in addition to the flavor goals for the project, we wanted to make it nutritionally a lot superior to traditional candy bars. So like you touched on, I mean, candy bars are extremely sweet, but it's because obviously because they have so much sugar and sugar is an extremely inexpensive ingredient, which helps keeps the price of these products down. But so the goal of my product development in Gigantic was to make a candy bar that you're not going to think twice about enjoying because you look at the nutritional label and it doesn't have an excessive amount of sugar. And as you eat it, you're not going to be overwhelmed with sweetness either. So we reduce the sugar by about two thirds versus a traditional candy bar. And instead of adding artificial or even natural sweeteners, like a lot of better for your products do these days, there's a host of sweeteners out there. Erythritol, stevia, monk fruit, allulose. There's a million of them that you can you know, even you know, have obviously in a whole food store. But the goal wasn't to pump the sweetness back up to the level of a traditional candy bar. It was to leave the sweetness level at a level that I thought was more balanced, where you can taste these other things that are going on in the product. The reason why we do flavors of this product is we're able to convey these more interesting flavors just with real ingredients because the sweetness isn't overwhelming you. So, you know, when we do like almond horchata, I mean, we're just using real cinnamon in there, double dark mint. We're using just real peppermint extract, you know, with our banana flavor. It's a real freeze-dried banana, that ingredient that we use. And we're not using even natural flavors because I want, you know, as a foodie, if you want to call it, sort of an obnoxious term, but someone who's sort of, you know, palate has evolved over time, you know, got used to eating in a big city and having like really awesome, you know, food experiences, you know, my palate immediately senses when something's not real. And so I wanted to have this like delicious candy bar experience that was better for me and real all at the same time. Yeah, all that like makes total sense, right? Like if you're in the mood for something sweet, but you're also a little bit of a food nerd and like stuff that actually tastes like real food, then using better ingredients is a big jump. But one of the things you mentioned too, I also appreciate, I see so many lower sugar products and I think, great, it won't be so sweet. And then I grab it and I eat it. And it's like overwhelmingly sweet because they filled it with a bunch of other stuff that makes up for the sweetness. So I do appreciate that you actually, you know, did a lower sugar product, but instead of just trying to appeal to this mainstream overly sugared kind of desire, you just left it less sweet, which is kind of rare. And I love it. And I'm hoping that other people are loving it as much as I am. But I feel like that's partly because, you know, sometimes I don't want something that sweet, like a traditional candy bar, I might be able to get like two bites in and then I feel sick. Whereas yours, I can eat the whole candy bar and feel great, right? And then I also just don't love a lot of fake sugars. Like they just taste weird in my mouth and make my throat feel weird. <laughs> so like I can almost instantly taste almost all fake sugars. Like when I'm drinking a soda or something like that, that's meant to be lower sugar, but then I can immediately taste all the other artificial junk. So those are two things I really appreciate it. Like you didn't bump up the sweetness with artificial stuff and just by avoiding those fake sugars, I don't have that awkward taste in my mouth. So appreciate both of those things. But one question I have for you is 
you know, you probably could have done that without fair trade and organic. Why did you decide to do like non-GMO, fair trade, organic? Well, let me knock off the non-GMO first. That one's just really easy. I mean, I always wanted the product to be non-GMO. As a consumer, I like to obviously see the non-GMO label. I'm not strictly a non-GMO person. If I go out to a Mexican restaurant, I'm not interrogating them about whether their tortillas are organic non-GMO. You know, I'm eating my chips and guac. But when I'm shopping in the store, I do really value seeing that non-GMO label. And for our product, there were very few ingredients where even a GMO version exists. So it was you know, pretty straightforward to make sure we were non-GMO. It was still a huge deal to get. I mean, we just got our non-GMO project certain verification. It's not on the packaging yet, but it's still a long process to get it, even when your ingredients are pretty you know, clean to begin with. So organic and fair trade, that was especially important for me on the chocolate. You know, Just starting this business and, and being an entrepreneur in this industry for the first time, and just understanding, you know, the greater state of the planet, you know, one of my goals was to not put something out into the world that was going to be a negative force to do harm to people and the planet. I wanted to make choices in developing this product that would be better for humanity and better for everyone here, the planet itself. So chocolate has a real, you know, history of abuse of the people who are harvesting the cacao. I mean, in terms of slavery, child labor, and, you know, it's something I didn't obviously want to be part of. And luckily the industry has evolved quite a bit that if you're a small supplier, there's plenty of good sources, a small brand like us, there's plenty of good sources and reputable suppliers who've been around for a while who have direct trade relationships with their growers and where you can, you can buy certified organic chocolate pretty easily. I mean, I understand why huge companies have a bigger problem because there's a limited amount of that chocolate, a limited amount of that cacao. But as a small brand, it was like a priority for us. Obviously, it costs more and your selection is more limited, but it was a real priority for me. You know, just in terms of organic also, it's something I really value as a consumer. Our product isn't completely organic. You know, just in my younger days, I came across that dirty dozen organic thing where as a consumer, I really value like <laughs> yeah. making sure the most important things I eat are organic. I eat a ton of berries. It's like one of my <laughs> favorite foods. So, and those are always in the dirty dozen. So I've always prioritized like organic for that. But I wasn't able to make gigantic, completely organic. The, the price of the product would have been sort of bonkers. But for like, you know, the biggest, most important ingredient, which is our chocolate, it's fair trade organic. Then I think about about half of our other ingredients where I could source them organically or sourced organically. You know, obviously, again, just in the other thing we did, which you know, we haven't touched on yet, it's to make the product plant-based. And, you know, most candy bars, especially when you're talking about caramel, caramel is a dairy product. And I'm not like an anti-dairy evangelist or anything, but... At the same time, putting a new product into the world and recognizing how, you know, industrial animal agriculture on this planet is a really negative force. And, you know, that goes for industrial dairy as well. I didn't want to be part of that. And, you know, I think we all sort of have a responsibility when creating something new to make the better choice and to say, like, if I can make this without animal products, like I'm going to try. And it wasn't clear that we could because there's very few products that I've tried that are made with like plant-based ingredients to create a caramel that was really delicious. And it took a lot of R&D and it was like probably the biggest innovation of Gigantic to make this caramel typically dairy and sugar, right? So when we're making something that's not with dairy and has a lot less sugar. So we're really going back to the drawing board on how do you create delicious candy bar caramel that isn't made really with the two main ingredients that typically caramel is made from. So, you know, those are the choices I wanted to make and bringing a new product, you know, to the market. Very cool. Yeah. So you said that was your biggest innovation. So is that something that you kind of proprietary came up with a solution or were you were working with your ingredient company or did you just have to like look very hard for an existing ingredient that was out there that you liked? 
Yeah, there's no off-the-shelf like vegan caramel that you could just buy. We developed it. You know, I worked with a product development group. The, the previous project I worked on, which was a ready-to-drink beverage thing and coffee and tea, I did a lot of, you know, in-my-home experimentation. And then when you go to try to commercialize that, you realize how much time and effort you've wasted because so many of the things that you did don't work commercially or you weren't even aware of some of the food safety or other <laughs> aspects of what you were doing because you're not an expert at it. So for this, what I... You know, I worked with a product development firm that had a real culinary focus and really loves like, you know, challenging like new culinary projects more so than CPG. They do a lot of consulting in the restaurant world as well, but that's where they all came from. So they were up to the challenge and, you know, it took a lot of time. You know, we were actually on the second version of our caramel. This is a sort of gigantic caramel V2 that you tried, which we launched in the middle of uh, last year. That's cool. Yeah, we've had a few groups on the call as well. Or a few people who do like culinary product development. Super interesting. Like I, before going into creative, like branding and design kind of stuff, one of my other options was going into culinary world and like, I don't know, working in kitchens or something. But at that time, I didn't know there was such a thing as like a research chef or a, you know, culinary product development kind of thing. So if I had known that, that might have been like <laughs> a really cool career path. Cause the main reason I didn't go into it is because I talked to so many people that were like, well, you know, trying to be a chef or whatever work in the restaurant industry is real cutthroat and maybe toxic environment and like high chance of failure or whatever of all restaurants. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe I'll go with a somewhat more loose, creative, like fun option where I can do the work from anywhere and not be tied to a specific restaurant kind of thing. So I went into design, but like product development job, that would be really cool too. Yeah. I think they have a lot of fun. I also had a similar experience when I was career changing, spoke to some people about training to be a chef as well and landed up realizing it wasn't going to be for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want the job of being a chef, but I still consider like someday I might go and just get a culinary degree oh, just yeah, for the fun of it. Because <laughs> sure. yeah. I love cooking. I just cook all the time. Another thing you mentioned too, though, was the supply chain issues with chocolate, right? So that's a big issue in the industry and, and there's big companies still making kind of some labor violations there and some other chocolate brands on the market like Tony's Chocoloni that are just really going against those kind of slave labor or you know just bad labor condition kind of stuff and I think coffee's another industry that's kind of pretty similar in terms of like it should almost be a standard that you have to be fair trade in some of those industries to like keep selling a product so I appreciate that you recognized the potential abuse in the supply chain and solved that issue. Yeah, for sure. One of those issues that I cared about personally, but also for consumers to really enjoy this product, not have to really have any bad vibes about it. You know, just trying to make sure that you've addressed everything, nutritionally, flavor, ingredients, sourcing, so that when you just fully enjoy this product and period, <laughs> not have any reservations about it. That makes sense. And I know, again, I mentioned for me that I really appreciate the sort of sweet kind of aspect of it rather than just the reduced sugar, but still fully sweet kind of direction that a lot of people go how has that consumer feedback been so far like are there a lot of people like me that appreciate the less sweet or are more of your customers buying the product just because they're trying to reduce sugar from a health standpoint but they wouldn't mind it being more sweet yeah it's an interesting experience that i've had which is that i do think most people try it because of the reduced sugar that it's a better for you candy bar but superior nutritionally and then there's a, a wide spectrum of people and their opinions about the sweetness. You know, a lot of people 
will say, this is fully sweet. Like I enjoy it. Not that it's too sweet. This isn't less sweet. This is just fully sweet and it's good. And some people say, I really like you. I really like the fact that it's like not too sweet. And I think sometimes you need that point of comparison in front of you. I think what we've done is we've achieved a sweetness level where that moderate sweetness level is enough for most people. And you don't realize how overly sweet, you know, a traditional candy bar and that you don't need that. And that it's not actually additive in a beneficial way to your enjoyment. So we tried to hit that sweetness level where it's just enough for a candy bar and that's all you need. And why would you want any more? And if you don't try it side by side with like a Snickers, when you're eating it, a lot of people don't realize or don't feel like it's lacking in sweetness at all. So I get that experience. Like, why did you call it less sweet? It's really just like a good sweetness. So, I mean, and then, you know, I think the people who are really more attuned to sweet you know, not not liking sweet stuff can sense it more readily and they're really happy about the fact that it's sort of sweet or not, you know, just moderately sweet, not super sweet. But I think most people, you know, don't even realize when they try it. Right. That's interesting, especially because I think you lean pretty far into anyone watching on video. I'm holding up a package right now, but like on the side of the package, like you go all in on the sort of sweet, super yum kind of messaging, right? So it's interesting that like the core messenger differentiator a lot of people are like, what? I don't notice that it's not that sweet. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. And that might be something we were, you know, at a startup, you're always evolving and tweaking and trying to, you know, hone in on what's the right messaging. And that might be something we maybe don't have as big on <laughs> the side of the package anymore, <laughs> where, you know, we maybe call it out as a flavor descriptor somewhere and when we're talking about it, but maybe not the main call out for the product, because I do think it's the nutritional profile and the sourcing, that's really most people's you know driver to try the product to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the sort of sweet is what got me, but I also know I'm not the average consumer. And most product development people <laughs> would not go off of my taste buds to develop a <laughs> product, right? So yeah. with that said, yeah, maybe it is like a matter of like for a future version, you can keep it in as a, like a sub call out, by which I mean, maybe you lean more in on the less sugar, but like with a little asterisk or, you know, sub line that says without the extra sweeteners or something like that. Yeah. Like the, uh, uh, the our website now, the main sort of like slogan is big fun, less junk. Whereas it, I think we used to say sort of sweet there also. So we're trying that out and see if that resonates a little more with people because the less junk is really what I think, you know, is the driver for people. Yeah, I would buy that too. Cause that's one my other thing about candy bars typically is all the junk, right? It's like the sweetness and the junk. So I would at least give it a shot if it said big fun, less junk. And then I would appreciate that it's not super sweet. So another thing you talked about is like the direction to go plant-based just because, you know, you may as well, if you're going all in on other less junk stuff, you may as well try to make it as sustainable. And I would also say inclusive as possible because that way, like, hopefully it's good enough that people who aren't vegan still want to eat it, obviously, which I think it is. And then, but like, why exclude the vegans if you can make a really good, you know, plant-based caramel? Uh, but one of the things I, I loved about your copywriting is great, by the way, but one of the things I loved about it was on the website, you say something about that it's plant-based and it's practically a salad, <laughs> but better. <laughs> and I just loved that idea of like a candy bar being practically a salad. But that popped into my mind of like, because I'm not a huge candy bar consumer, I don't, I haven't looked at a lot of the ingredients recently. I just know I've avoided them for a long time. So what have you seen that's in a lot of candy bars that people would be surprised to learn about? Like in terms of like, 
something that you would expect a candy bar to be plant based, but then it's not, or some other yeah. random ingredient that. Well, I mean, it's, it's just people. it's a ton of dairy. Usually, you know, if you look at the ingredients of a Snickers, you'll see like skim milk, milk fat, lactose multiple times because it's like in their chocolate, and then it's in their the caramel or the nougat or whatever. Snickers even has egg whites for someone who's vegan. Obviously, that's not <laughs> acceptable either. And then it's you know corn syrup. Artificial flavors, pretty much every conventional candy bar, you know, is using artificial flavors because the other ingredients are using don't really impart much flavor at all. You know, if we're just using sort of milk and sugar, a little bit of cocoa in there, you know, that's the basis of a conventional candy bar. Unlike I think I said earlier, they're often more than 50% sugar by weight, which I mean, just imagine that visual when you're eating one of those, it's just that thing is just more than 50% sugar as you're eating it. That's a lot of sugar. And then even in the better for you world, you know, what I think I've seen as a consumer and why I started Gigantic, I mean, if there were great choices, I thought there were great choices that excited me as a consumer to go. If I could have gone to the Whole Foods that day when a little teardrop was running down my cheek and I wanted the candy bar, <laughs> if I could go to the Whole Foods and get something that I loved, I wouldn't have started Gigantic. But the thing is, a lot of the better for you candy bars make a very incremental improvement upon the traditional conventional thing. In fact, they're usually just trying to copy the original thing. And that's really their goal is to make this product taste just as much like a Snickers, a Kit Kat, a Twix as possible. And they make that direct comparison. They haven't developed something original. They're trying to copy it. And you know, I think some of the brands have as much sugar as the original does. Some of them have less sugar. Some of them are just removed the artificial ingredients and, you know, and made the ingredient panel acceptable for a health food store, but haven't really innovated much beyond that nutritionally or flavor-wise or format-wise. So as a consumer, I was looking for something a lot more original and new. And that was one of the goals with Gigantic was to not make, a, you know, our product's not a copycat product. We're not trying to duplicate one of the existing old school candy bars. I just, we wanted to rebuild the candy bar from the ground up and you know, do something that was just a new experience for people. And some of the other things that I see as a consumer that I really don't think is great in the better for you space, when we talk about ingredients, it's not just the traditional candy bars and their junky ingredients. There's a lot of, I'd say, natural ingredients that aren't, there, there's, I'd say some smoke and mirrors or some misleading stuff that goes on. I mean, there's an ingredient called isomalto oligosaccharides, and there's a nutrition bar called Quest that you may have heard of. It was this big protein bar, and that was their main ingredient for a while. And they actually got sued. They were labeling it as fiber on their bars, and it was people were doing studies and showing that not only was it not fiber, it would spike your blood sugar just like if you ate oh, <laughs> an man. equivalent amount of sugar, sugar, regular sugar. And Quest moved away from that and changed out their ingredients. And I see Better For You products launching still today with isomalto oligosaccharides, also called IMO, as their primary ingredient. And they're touting, you know, no sugar or one gram of sugar, whatever. And, you know, I think it's kind of, I mean, I don't like seeing that as a consumer. I think there's some, most people won't know what that ingredient is and don't know about the history of it and the studies. And, you know, it just shows up, it's all carbs on the nutritional panel. It's not sugar carbs, but it's the kind of carb that your body can just turn to sugar right away. Or that's what the studies show. I'm not, again, not the authority on it, but that's like an ingredient. I feel like we can do better than that, you know, in this industry. And the, the new thing that's also a lot of smoke and mirrors is this FDA, you know, regulation regarding added sugars. Whereas, you know, if your sugar comes from sugarcane, like we use in our caramel, we use a little organic light brown sugar from sugarcane, that's considered, you know, added sugar on your ingredient panel. If I were to use like date syrup, for example, with the equivalent amount of sugar, 
it wouldn't be considered added sugar. It would be in total sugar, but not <laughs> added sugar. So there's brands as a brand. Think about this, for example, like an Amat's apple juice is all the sugars from apple. Let's say you could claim that glass of sugar water has no added sugar and put that on, a, on the front panel of your apple juice. And I think if you're going to mislead consumers and maybe parents into thinking, oh, I'm giving my kids something that doesn't have any sugar. And people are doing that in my space also where, you know, they're going to sweeten with something other than sugar from sugar cane. And it, if it comes from like dates, for example, or maybe the coconut sugar also, you can claim no added sugar. And people do claim this on their front panels. But if you flip it over and see how much sugar is actually in the product, which a lot of consumers won't do, you'll see it's, it may be high in sugar. So I think we should just do better like as brands. It's something I want to be super straightforward with Gigantic about what the nutritionals are and where they come from. And I don't like as a consumer felt like I'm being played like that. So as a brand, it's certainly something that I stayed away from as well. Yeah, that totally resonates with me. I hate all the sugar claims because they are often misleading. It's like, lower sugar, but then it's still super sweet or it's, you know, you just got fake garbage in there instead. Or like you said, there's no added sugar. And then really it is just tons of other sugars. It just happens to be from fruit or something. It's just so confusing for people to try to keep up with it. I seem to remember, I don't know if it's still a rule, but there was a rule for a while that if you put something like low sugar on your package, you also had to qualify it with this is not a low calorie product because consumers just don't know. They like see low sugar. They're like, oh, great. That must be mean, mean it's healthy. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. It might be full of a bunch of other garbage that you don't want to eat. So, Yeah, I think that was with low fat, with the big low fat craze. Strangely enough, the FDA has never defined low sugar and you're not permitted to make a low sugar claim on your label in this country. But tons of brands don't seem to be aware of that and they do it. And I could see if you've got zero sugar or maybe one gram of sugar, you can legitimately say you're low sugar and feel safe about it. But if you're in a gray area and claiming you're low sugar, you could be in trouble one day with the FDA because it's not really allowed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or Full even back. like 30% less sugar yeah. or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just it's a crazy world. And then, you know, yeah. I know the government's trying to like set rules that make things clear, but obviously we still have a long way to go. <laughs> So, yeah, every time they make a rule, someone's going to find a way to sort of like, you know, game it. Like with this no added sugar things, I feel like it's a big, you know, people really gaming that definition of added sugar, you know, in, yeah, in a way that's not absolutely. really legit. <laughs> because they know it's like such a huge driver for consumers. So they're just trying to find any way they can use that claim and then probably pushing rules through the FDA so that they can. It's ridiculous. So you're about three years in now, I think, with Gigantic. What's been the biggest surprise, biggest challenge and biggest win so far? Yeah. What are we starting with? Surprise? Surprise to me was, I guess, how complex and convoluted this, this industry is. You know, <laughs> I, I used to work in the financial world looking at like six computer screens with all sorts of complex, convoluted stuff on the screens. And it was sort of easy for me to understand, you know, over time at least. And then I got into this industry and I thought it would be simple. I was like, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs come in this industry and are like, you know, what is it? It's food. I know what a pretzel is. You know, I don't know what a chip is or a cookie. Like how hard could this be? And then you get into the industry and you realize how, especially in distribution with all the different retailers and distributors and, and the way things are moved around and the way that all the pricing and stuff works behind the scenes and who's getting what. It's really hard to, to navigate and a lot more like onerous and complex than I expected. So I'd sort of heard something about that. But I was like, how hard could it be? But it's really, it really that was surprising. So the challenging thing, I think for me was most challenging thing was just being a first time entrepreneur and, you know, transitioning into this world was really challenging and still has been challenging for me. Like I came from a world where what I did for 10 years is almost akin to playing a video game where I'd sit there and look at computer screens and 
you know, react to things mostly. I mean, we'd make investments, which was actually a proactive process. But once those investments were made, we're like watching the screens and reacting to things that were affecting us and sort of playing a little game. And then, you know, when you're starting something from scratch, you know, the game doesn't even turn on unless you make it turn on that day. Like nothing happens. (laughs) You know, there's like everything's on you every day. The burden of just like, you know, pushing the boulder up the hill or whatever they say, like every day is on you. You got to wake up and do it every day. And that was sort of a wide awakening to me because I think I was more in the mindset of someone who could, was more of an analyst and like, you know, and now you're a creator and you're making things happen every day. And there, there was like a fun process of creation at the beginning. But the day you sort of launch, all of a sudden you're in this world where you got to make it happen every day. So that's been the biggest challenge for me, just adjusting to that personally and that sort of like, you know, way of work. And the lack of structure that brings, you know, because you just every day is like you, you make your day, you're going to make it happen. What was it the biggest win? I feel like the biggest win was, you know, because this was really to me when I started Gigantic. I mean, ultimately, I wanted it to be a business, but it was I took the view that it was a creative project. Like I just wanted to put something amazing and delicious and beautiful and fun into the world that I, I hoped other people would like. I didn't know for sure it was going to whether it could turn into like a legit business or not. So for me, like one of the biggest wins and the biggest finally launching it to the public after working on it for a couple of years. I mean, I was, I started before the pandemic. We got into the pandemic. There was lots of, you know, trouble getting this product, getting this thing over the finish line. So that was really exciting. And right off the bat, we got some awesome press from the food press from like Bon Appetit and Food and Wine. Those felt like huge wins. And I think everything since then has been more incremental. You know, I feel like it's a huge win every time. I think it's fun to see like, a customer reorder. Like I love seeing someone order for the first time on a direct consumer. And literally the day the product's delivered, I see a reorder. I mean, that's just like the greatest <laughs> thing. Someone's tried it and immediately they're like, I need more, right? Like the second <laughs> they tried the first bar or whatever, they've reordered. I love, I mean, that's such an awesome win every time I see that. Yeah, that's really cool. That instant <laughs> gratification and motivation to just get more of it right away. That's really yeah. cool. Just feedback. knowing you're connected with that person. Like you've improved that person's like day you've made their life a little better like you know it's just you know it's it's a great feeling yeah and and the challenge you mentioned or surprise of actually about the industry being so complex convoluted difficult etc is definitely a common trend (laughs) that i hear about cpg all the time and that's a big part of why we do this podcast is so that a people can find cool new products that they might not have known about otherwise but b also people in this industry can learn from each other and go further faster together by avoiding mistakes and getting advice from people a few steps ahead of you because there is just so much complexity. Business is hard in general. This industry is especially difficult. So I like to share that knowledge. And that's part of why I ask these questions. So (laughs) thanks for sharing that. You mentioned that you were working on it for a couple of years before you launched. So the three years in, were you working on it for two years and you launched about a year ago or did you launch three years ago? Yeah, we launched at the beginning of 2021. So it's been three years since we launched. Great. So you were working on it a couple of years previous to that and just product development and branding and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was a long process. And I was sort of running it simultaneously with another, this beverage thing I've referred to a couple of times that I was working on and eventually just sort of abandoned the beverage thing during COVID. That became super impossible during the pandemic to move forward, whereas gigantic, I was able to move forward a lot more effectively. Makes sense. Okay, cool. So hopefully by this point, people are excited to go try some and then get them and then immediately reorder. (laughs) So where can people go to find out more about Gigantic and try the product? Well, definitely online. Our website's Gigantic Candy. The product we ship all over the country. In retail, you know, we're in the biggest retail room right now is Foxtrot. So if you're in the Chicago area, the DC area, DMV, 
Austin, Dallas, Foxtrot's got locations there. And New York City is my hometown. We have a lot more retail locations here. Fairway, Gourmet Garage, a lot of smaller independent stores. And then we have like a little smattering throughout the rest of the country. We've got a store finder on our website to help you with that. But, you know, for most of the country, still direct consumer is going to be your best bet for now. Okay, cool. I'd Before we jump into a rapid round, I'd be remiss without asking you, what does a better for the world mean to you? You know, we touched on it a little bit throughout this conversation, but, you know, better for the world in the context of CPG or just more generally, I think that better for the world is, you know, elevating the state of humanity and the planet. Like, is what you're doing, you know, making things healthier for people on the planet, making people happier, making their lives more enjoyable while sort of doing no harm. Like as humans, you know, we consume, you know, like we biologically need to consume and there's <laughs> there's going to be some inherent you know, challenges and making sure we don't do harm in that process, especially when there's so many of us, but, you know, making choices that make that process, you know, less harmful and better for our health and better for the health of the planet. That's the way I view it. Love it. Great definition. I feel like that aligns with a lot of what we talk about on the show. So thanks for answering that. Now let's jump into a quick rapid fire question round. First off, (laughs) I saw some funny threads on LinkedIn where you called yourself Stewie Ooey Gooey. (laughs) Does anyone actually call you that? Because that would be amazing. (laughs) Not since fourth grade. That was someone who was trying to get under my skin that year in school (laughs) used to call me that. (laughs) But that might have been some sort of like, you know, foreshadowing of my future career doing something in candy. (laughs) Yeah, really. They did you a favor. They were (laughs) telling you what you're about to become. (laughs) Love it. Okay, if you had to pick one food every day or to eat every day for a year, what would it be? The only food I get to eat all day or I just have to eat the this only food? The only the, food over and over, you know, three meals a day. The, day. the only thing, the thing I would eat then is it's by a brand called Fix and Fog. It's called Everything Butter, which is it's, it's like a combination of nuts and seeds ground up into a butter that's super delicious. I think it's super nutritious. I eat it a lot. It's part of my breakfast a lot. But I think that's something I, would, I could sustain myself on and, and still enjoy every day. Wow. Okay. Now I'm going to go check that out. That sounds good. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. So what's your favorite sweet treat outside of Gigantic? I think these days it's something called Glow Nuts. This is a better for you vegan mini donut. Actually, did you do a great job not using sugar, but using those sort of alternative sweeteners in a way that you wouldn't really notice. And it's not a traditional donut at all. It has a completely different texture, which I really appreciate. It's not trying to be like an Entenmann's donut. I don't know if you know if I've heard of Entenmann's, maybe that's a New York thing, but it's not trying to be this old school donut. It's something I really enjoy. Big shout out, by the way, I can't be remiss and not shout out to Lex Evans. My family loves Lexington ah, Bakes. Nice. It's not something I eat a lot of yeah. because I don't. I, I avoid mostly dairy and eggs, so it's not something, but I have tasted it. And that's something that's like a sweet treat my family's really into. Yeah, that's been one of my favorite things to send people for holidays or gifts lately just because they're so delicious. But now I've got another sweet treat to be able to send (laughs) people as gifts with Gigantic too. So big fan of both of what you're doing or what you're both doing. Okay, so who would you be most excited to find out that they're a fan of Gigantic? I'd say Michelle Obama, probably for obvious reasons, you know, really impressive person, important person who, you know, when she was in the White House, worked a lot on the issues of exercise, nutrition, child obesity, you know, and to find out that, you know, she's a pretty serious person, but to find out that, you know, gigantic as a candy bar that she could enjoy would be pretty amazing. That's cool. Maybe we'll find some way this community will let her know (laughs) about you. (laughs) We'll get her some bars and then she'll like post a social media thing about how awesome gigantic is. (laughs) All right. What's one thing you're hoping to make better this year? 
one thing I want to make better is, you know, I'm trying just to be a better husband and father. You know, one thing that happens when you have your own business and you're an entrepreneur and you're a startup, I'm, I'm still a solopreneur. So I do everything myself is you have this dream that running your own business will give you more time to spend with your family. But the reality is it's <laughs> the opposite, which I'm sure everyone probably says once they're in it, it is the opposite. So the focus on your business sometimes means you don't spend the time, the quality time that you hope with your family. So that's really a goal for me this year that I can do better. That's a really good goal. And I would say I've been an entrepreneur for about 15 years now, and I do have some team members. And sometimes when everything's just gelling correctly and like you've got the right team, you got the right systems and all the right projects and everything's going smoothly, I can take a little more time and have flexibility and be like, you know what, I'm going to go to the movie in the middle of the day or something like that. Like have a little bit more flexibility there. But most of the time, it just means I'm the guy working, you know, 12 plus hours a day, like five to seven days a week, you know. (laughs) So that's also a goal of mine, too, is partly just to work on systems and stuff this year so that I can dial a little bit back, maybe only work 10 hours a day or something like that. I don't know. I don't know what's possible there, but but to try to find ways to prioritize my health and, you know, quality time and get back into creating art, like that kind of stuff. So I love that. Makes total sense. Well, that's all we've got for today. So I want to just say thank you for deciding this was a problem worth solving and then actually taking action towards solving it and creating something that finally allows me to jump back into the candy bar market as a consumer. So I appreciate you doing what you're doing. And, you know, along that way, also just doing so many of the right things with, you know, fair trade or whether it's plant-based or organic or fair trade, I already mentioned fair trade, no artificial, you know, sweeteners and all that kind of stuff. I appreciate all the kind of detail you put into the brand as well as the fun branding and humor that you have in the copywriting. So big fan of all those things. So I appreciate everything you're doing. Thanks, Gabe. That's music to my ears. I love to <laughs> love to hear that the product and what we're doing resonates so nicely with you. And I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. So, you know, more people can hear about Gigantic and the story and really love what you do for, for all of us in the CPG world. Awesome. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Gigantic, visit GiganticCandy.com. If you like this show, remember to help us grow by liking, reviewing, and sharing. If you're new here, don't forget we have over 100 episodes in the archive. Some might be called Evolve CPG, but it's the same show, so dig in for more goodness. If you consider yourself an impact-driven professional, join me over at impactdriven.community, where we're supporting each other's growth as impact leaders. 